0: Welcome to the conversation. I'm Anna Kasparian, and joining us today is a good friend of mine and also a super talented host, that, which I'm sure you saw on uh online, uh, Michael Brooks. Uh, He is the author of Against the Web, the Cosmopolitan Socialist Answer to the New Right. He's also, of course, the host of The Michael Brooks Show and um, has been co-hosting on The Majority Report for quite some time now. And Michael, you and I are also doing a pretty awesome show on the weekends called Weekends with Anna and Michael. That's for Jacobin, so please check that out as well. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. People definitely need to check out the show we're doing for Jackman. It's so, so, so good. Get I love
0: it. I I love the long form interviews we get to do. It's just very different from what we were already doing with um, our shows. And it's just like a good in-depth conversation every Saturday morning. Definitely check that out. Um, but you know the one thing that I think really attracted me to the work that you do, Michael, is actually what you write about in your book. And I just love the fact that when everyone was kind of asleep at the wheel, you seem to have a, a good understanding of what was happening with the intellectual dark web, uh, a, a a term that uh, Barry Weiss over at the New York Times has decided to use in describing these people. And that includes uh, Jordan Peterson, um, Sam Harris, uh, Brett Weinstein. So I wanna talk a little bit about what it is about the IDW that I think most people were really late to catch on to, right? Like What they were really doing with their commentary, with their analysis and with their uh, you know, speeches in front of live audiences.
1: Yeah, I mean, what they were doing was, I think, taking some real weaknesses on the left and exploiting them, and basically telling really, kind of on one hand framing themselves as victims of a politically correct culture, and then just sort of telling bedtime stories about how the world works, which is interesting because there's a lot of grievance uh, inside the intellectual dark web and a lot of fear about a variety of subjects. But at the end of the day, the politics that they're selling um, and the answers that they're selling are really simple. You know, it's a kind of combination of like basically some version of capitalism is good, Things, a lot of things make sense as they are, here are some self-help tools for managing the world in a better place, in managing the world in a better way and it struck me that you know these guys were getting a lot of popularity and you know this already like this book has some bigger arguments to it thankfully um but especially in like 2017 2018 if you were doing the work we were doing these guys were blowing up and i thought they were taking some really complicated things like sam harris with regards to islam and international relations and turning them into these kind of ahistorical Um, very reactionary uh, and simplistic views. And Jordan Peterson came along and uh, took campus controversies and sort of leveraged them into this whole all-encompassing story of the world and how it worked. So I wanted to respond to that, but then I also wanted to address um, the weaknesses in the left and in liberal culture uh, that I think allowed these guys to, to get more traction than they should have.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important because unfortunately, what I saw happening in real time was a group of incredibly dishonest people really exploiting uh, what you and I both agree is a weakness um, on the left. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But before we do, I I did want you to kind of explain what you mean by reactionary. Um, because, you know, there might be some people who might not know what you mean by that. Um, I remember Dave Rubin said that he was proud to be a reactionary because it means that you're paying attention and you're reacting. But that's not what you mean by reactionary. So <laughs> can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Hand, I, don't, I don't mean having good hand-eye coordination. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. And again, you know, this is something else that, you know, from the perspective of my politics, even if somebody's like a Democrat, doesn't like Trump, uh, I don't think that they're necessarily on the left. And by the way, that's fine. I'm just trying to define terms uh, in the ways I think they're most useful to to define. So I think all of these guys are reactionary in a really basic sense, which is that you look at the world and you look at how things operate, primarily, in my view, the biggest factor creating the world we're in are the economic forces, what you know what how we work how we communicate the infrastructure of our economies. I think that those, and and of course, there's a variety of other things operating in our lives. That's the one I tend to focus on most. And if you look at the world though, as you, you look at what we all take as a given, and you might say some of those things are good, some of those things are bad, and you might ask why, right? And I think the project that we're involved with is to ask why, how they could be better, and what's really shaping where we're at. And I think, to me, I would define reactionary as anybody that takes um, a given uh, situation in the world and either sort of broadly tries to justify it by either saying like, "Well, that's natural," you know, you can't really question the rules of you know how we're operating the economy or how we're doing capitalism because. Capitalism isn't like, you know, it isn't political economy, it isn't a a project with political and philosophical choices and trade-offs, it's like a natural science, it's like biological evolution, and it's even deeper than that, it's about our basic freedom and how we're designed as humans, right, like literally to naturalize, obviously you see this, um, you know, in plenty of conversations that people get into on the right around race or gender, as an example. Or do you say, um, you know, another way is to to mythologize, like, you know, Jordan Peterson kind of does both, right? Like, he'll look at uh, lobsters to explain social hierarchies or he'll talk about um, mythological structures to say, like, well when you really you know if you're questioning a political arrangement you might be questioning the whole bedrock on which civilization itself operates you know what i'm saying so you can't really question it or dig into it because there are these deeper structures at play by the way that's not to say like of course science uh matters to certain things and i don't have any problem with looking at mythology and seeing how it influences our lives but primarily I'm interested in how the forces that make up our day-to-day, um, not like what we're thinking about or what our bio or what lobsters do to assert dominance, but literally how we're working and uh how we're you know organizing ourselves and how that spills out into all of the problems we're dealing with. So I think a reactionary project starts with the idea that you don't really look at something and dig into it historically and contextually you say it is as it is um and i think that that's a really really important uh distinction so i'll just say like again again like sam harris he's probably some type of democrat i'm sure that he's not you know a a trump supporter but the way he talked about uh, islam this completely a historical way um is reactionary the way he approached the bell curve and that conversation reactionary
0: and i think what was or continues to be to some extent um dangerous about the sam harrises and the jordan petersons communicating some of these um thoughts was that they're not the typical dopey right wingers, right? So I think for someone um, who pays close attention to what they're saying and you have like a trained ear to catch what they're trying to imply through their rhetoric, um, you know what they're doing. But I think that for the vast majority of Americans who might hear one of them talking, they come across as, Incredibly educated, intelligent guys—they're uh, able to latch on to their so-called political identity. Although Jordan Peterson, even though he comes off as very conservative, uh, refuses to identify as conservative, right? And but you know, Sam Harris, yeah—the the rejection of Trump uh, was certainly used as a way to say the types of things that he was saying about Islam and he would he has he's very articulate he sounded very smart when he would say the things he he did and people just trust that messenger and because a lot of it is optics a lot of it is you know well this person sounds like an expert and that was such an incredibly dangerous part of of what was going on because you would hear them on let's say the Joe Rogan podcast and you know I I think that Rogan, you know, he doesn't have any bad intentions, but he would just like listen to what they were saying and he wouldn't challenge it because they sound intelligent. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They'll reference, you know, scientific studies to bolster the arguments they're making. Um but later it was found that uh, a lot of that science was misinterpreted. Probably was it an accident, but can you talk a little bit about that? because I think that they pulled a fast one on so many well-intentioned people, um including our media, which did a lot of uh, positive coverage of the intellectual dark web.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much in what you're saying. Um, and I don't know honestly, like what their intentions are. I think there's a big variance in this group. and I, you know, I'm obviously very much not fans of any of them. Um, I don't know what each of their particular agendas are. And I think obviously someone like Ben Shapiro is just like a standard issue right-wing uh, talker and Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson have slightly more complicated brands. But I, I think what what was happening was that one, exactly what you're saying, which is just that optics and presentation matter a lot. Two, um, there's something very appealing for, and, and this applies to all of us, but when somebody who sounds very sophisticated and up on it basically just recapitulates conventional wisdom. And that was a very funny thing about like Sam Harris was. Yes, there were some people who were maybe politically correct or whatever you want to call, or people who knew what they were talking about. Who that was another move that you could make with Islam. There were some people that, and again, I think this was like a weakness that could be exploited, which is okay. You can never. Um, you know criticize any aspect of 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 different religions or whatever and i'll just sort of object to that morally and sam could like run circles around that and claim he was being brave by having these quote-unquote important discussions then there was tons of other people who actually are serious scholars or do real work in the field whether we're talking about the politics or the region or the religion who'd say this guy just does not know at all what he's talking about and then harris could conflate those two things. Like, oh, that's all just the same. Like somebody who's explained to me, I don't know what I'm talking about. And somebody that's all just political correctness. So like demanding, I, I ground my, my thought experiments and my sort of beliefs and any type of analysis, that's all just being PC. And the way it loops back, uh, to can, is that at the end of the day, even though he might have offended some people and he might have had some viral moments, the truth was is a lot of Americans think about Islam in that way. A lot of people think it's this one indifferentiated mass. A lot of the things that Jordan Peterson said, by the way, some of the things are true, right? Like some of his self-help advice is great, makes total sense, um, reconfirms a lot of conventional wisdom. So I think that they had good presentation, and I think that they had this great double game, you know, which is like best exemplified, uh, you know, by like getting glowing profiles in the New York Times and having tons of access to media, and then also saying, you know, that like, oh man, to even say stuff like this is so renegade and so out there. Now we know that some of the stuff they said would trigger certain people, and yes, there was some controversy to it. Whatever. But at the end of the day, these guys were still pretty well situated and a lot of what they were saying would conform with, you know, pretty large demographics in the country. And so I think that was another advantage they have. I think it's very advantageous to come along and say, you know, I've got really bad news and really hard news that nobody wants to hear about staying fit, which is don't exercise and, you know, eat eat Pringles. I'm sorry. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear this, but it's the truth, you know.
0: Yeah, I, you know, that's what I really found jarring about Jordan Peterson because I remember doing research for um a video that I wanted to produce. And I wanted to kind of understand like what is it that people find appealing about this, you know, not so appealing pretty conservative professor who's like making himself out to be some sort of victim because he refuses to use the pronouns that people want to be identified with and i realize that it's the fact that he would appeal to young men who quite honestly do feel like they've been left behind do feel like they've been neglected by um you know efforts to create a more equal system for women, right? So if you look at statistics, loneliness is through the roof for for males right now. Um, The number of males graduating from college, for instance, has uh, dropped considerably. And so people are feeling lost, they want some help. And then you have this Jordan Peterson figure coming out with his self-help books. And it's very appealing to have this um, authority figure tell you that they're trying to help you out. but. Then he would use, you know, his political ide- ideology and some of the, I guess, negative rhetoric uh, toward various groups of people, uh, tr- the transgender community being one of them, to kind of like spread his conservative beliefs. And you're absolutely right; they were marketed as, like, super edgy and like, ooh, he's willing to say things that other people are too afraid to say and it was terrifying to hear what he thought about women in the workplace right and how he essentially felt that women would wear lipstick specifically because they wanted to get laid by their coworkers like that kind of stuff like blew my mind and there wasn't really much of a an emphasis on how for lack of a better word problematic uh, those thoughts were but more importantly how those How that part of his ideology wasn't anything new or edgy. It was something that had been repackaged and resold to the public as something new and edgy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of truth to that um, in terms of like stuff just getting repackaged and resold. But I also think that there was a lot of areas where this was exactly where he could find a market. Because like as you say. There is a lot of problems um, for young men, as an example. And if they were tuning into kind of pop political culture, they had one person saying, I've got some self help tools and some things that might be relevant for you. And then they had another culture just saying, like, your privilege, your privilege, your privilege, your privilege. And they would be like, well, I guess, but not really. And in a lot of ways, they would be right. Like, especially when we mm-hmm. filtered it economically, they absolutely weren't. And so, you know, the real answer is like how do you actually respond to their needs and their wants um, in a way that you know connects like obviously from my view with the like the broader economic trends that actually do generate those things like loneliness and joblessness and so on I also think there was a lot of areas though where I could see like when he made those lipstick comments I remember why everybody a made fun of him b what were like appalled but I also thought this is how he gets to his audience, because instead of like, if people just said, wait a second, are you saying that women are the only people that enhance their appearance in the workplace and that visuals don't matter for both genders? And like, what are you actually saying here? What are the implications of what you're saying? And do you, and look, if you want to have a broader conversation about like social presentation and gender and, and the workplace, like, that could be a really interesting conversation and it might be a conversation that make a lot of people uncomfortable and there might be some really interesting debates on it. But obviously you're turning it in this very, you know, kind of comically sexist direction. But what people did is they just either laughed it off or denied the one really part, narrow part of what he was saying, which was obviously true, which was not like the sexual arousal part, you know, the parts that, again, it's very easy to do the impression and make fun of them. But I I could see, like, when that happened, I was like, okay, this is the disconnect. Because this guy says something that we can all track where he's going that's, like, potentially really retrograde. But then there's this other part where he's just saying something that's a truism. And, like, the Vice News guy is laughing in his face. And we're all going to just kind of, like, dunk on him and miss this really obvious point that a bunch of people who are watching are going to say like they're both in good and bad ways and one way they're going to say why why is he being made fun of it is true that people enhance their appearance and then they're also going to completely miss the bigger implications of what he's saying about the workplace because we're not addressing it we're just going to Mm -hmm. dunk it and i think that was like actually very evocative of how he was able to you know, cut a lane, partially through our own failings, basically,
0: yeah. I, and that's the part of your book that I think it, I hope people don't think that your book is just about critiquing the intellectual dark web because I would argue the most important part of your work is, you know, just drawing attention to where liberals really miss the mark in in, you know, doing a constructive critique of the intellectual dark web, right? Because, the truth is, and and you go over this so well in a, a recent interview on your show with uh, Torrey Reid. You guys were talking about how, you know, when we talk about the economy and we focus on, let's say, uh, criticisms toward the New Deal, what happens when we only discuss it in the context of, uh, you know, people of color were left behind, which certainly that's true, but we forget that over the last forty years all Americans um, have been left behind by this economy, right? So if you are a white person in the middle of the country and you've seen your wages remain stagnant for decades and you're struggling to put food on the table for your kids, when you hear liberals talk about the economic situation and, and refer to white Americans as people who are just privileged, Right, as if they haven't been left behind as well. Well, then you lose people, right? You're less able to make a compelling and persuasive argument for why this economic system needs to change. And it seems like you're only focusing on improving the economy for one group of people or two groups of people, as opposed to creating a better, equitable economy for everyone. And I thought that, you know, when I was listening to that interview, I I thought about your book and I thought about how. I think a lot of liberals miss the mark in criticizing uh, members of the intellectual dark web. I think that it's important to learn from what they exploited in our or, or the liberals weakness or weak arguments and improve in order to effectively uh, rebut the nonsense that would come from these people.
1: Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. And I think that. Yeah. One of the things that cuts across both, um, you know, and, and again, I'm not saying it's the same thing, obviously, because I, there's no doubt that a right wing position on, on these things is more of a problem in some really key respects. But any narrative that basically tells people like anything that says whether it's explaining deindustrialization in the 80s and 90s, or some of the issues we're dealing with today, and just says, well, you, you have bad cultural habits, or you're this, or you're that, that doesn't tell a story about the economy and why we are where we are, is gonna miss the truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. Um, Unfortunately, we're out of time. Everyone, please check out this book, uh, Against the Web, The Cosmopolitan Socialist Answer to the New Right. Um, Make sure you purchase it from independent bookstores. Red Emma's in uh, New York is selling the book, and there are some independent bookstores in Los Angeles selling it as well. Michael, thank you so much um, for writing this and for taking the time to talk about it on TYT. It's always a pleasure. Thank you.